Welcome to Urban Principle, leadership lessons brought to you by BrettAndersonConsulting.com. And now here's your host, Brett Anderson. And welcome back to another podcast. We are on episode 152, season three. Uh, this is Restorative Practices in the Brain. And we'll see how far we get. We may have to do this in uh, multiple episodes. But I ran across an article. Um, I've done things on the brain before and some Eric Jensen. Uh, we may use some of that tonight. And uh, came across an article that was actually 2018. But it was Lori uh, DeSaldles. And it was uh, in uh, Edutopia. Uh, Edutopia has some good resources and good stuff online and good articles and research and this one was on classroom management aiming for discipline instead of punishment and brain aligned discipline isn't compliance driven or punitive it's about supporting students and creating sustainable changes in behavior and of course we spend a lot of time on positive behavior supports and uh, MTSSB and I've uh, been talking a lot about restorative practices and that's what this article kind of gets into a little bit is uh, restorative practices and the brain and I'd like to share some of this because I, I thought this article was well done uh, there are many perspectives on the topic of discipline in our classrooms and schools and I'd like to explore the idea of using brain aligned discipline with students who have adverse childhood experiences or ACEs and we've talked about those things of course with our uh, trauma-informed teaching and ACEs uh, the main eight ACEs that uh, you are familiar with is uh, you know, substance abuse, uh, separation, divorce, mental illness, um, uh, they witness violence, uh, suicidal uh, house member or somebody in the house, uh, death of a loved one, um, or even a parent, and experience of abuse or neglect. And a lot of our students in poverty have many of these things, and some of these things we could all have. Um, I'm a, uh, also a, um, a recipient of divorce, I guess you could say. Um, uh, it sounds like I got something good. It's not really that good, but it was one of those things that affected my childhood. And um, a lot of adults have a lot of these things as well. Um, uh, let me continue reading a little bit. Traditional punishment with these students only escalates power struggles and conflict cycles. Um, breeding and increased stress response in the brain and body. Punishment is used to try to force compliance. The vast majority of school discipline procedures are forms of punishment that work best with students who need them at the least. Um, so um, you need to stress reteaching, of course, which I talk a lot about on this show, and more proactive strategies and using those positive behavior supports and increasing your procedures and routines and the engagement of students so that you'll have less behavior. Uh, let me continue again with the article. With our most difficult students, the current way schools try to discipline students does not change their behavior. It often escalates the problems. And a lot of these students are in patterns of behavior, and they do a lot of the things that they do uh, to get responses and to get attention. And as it was stating, uh, some of them are the result of ACEs and stresses and anxieties that come out uh, in their behavior, which is displayed at school a lot of the times. Uh, let me continue again on the article. Discipline, unlike punishment, is proactive and begins before there are problems. It means seeking conflict or seeing conflict as an opportunity to problem solve. Discipline provides guidance, focuses on prevention, enhances communication, 
models respect and embraces natural consequences. It teaches fairness, responsibility, life skills, and problem solving. Uh, all the things that we do within uh, positive behavior supports and in my buildings we taught character and uh, social skills and a lot of those things that the students needed. Problem solving and a lot of um, things that they may not get coming into the building. Uh, depending on your demographics uh, at your school. Uh, continuing again, there are times when students need to be removed from the classroom and school for aggressive, volatile actions, but open. But upon re-entry, we should make a plan of action that begins to address, address these action in these brain-aligned ways. And in restorative practices, we talk a lot about how we can help the students uh, uh, get back into the swing of things and how you can actually uh, meet with students and set up an action plan and do some problem solving uh, to increase their chances of succeeding when they come back from a say a suspension or a push out practice uh, because the goal is for them to relearn and to understand the correct behavior and develop empathy and a lot of the things that you want any good student to do. Uh, continuing, the neurobiological neuro changes caused by chronic negative experiences and history of adversity can trigger a fear response in the brain. As Pam Leo says, a hurtful child is a hurt-filled child, and you've heard that same thing with hurting people uh, hurt people. Uh, that's the same thing with their parents that come in and your families that come in that are all upset. A lot of times it's not upset at you, but they're hurting for other reasons and they take it out on you. But as a school, you get the brunt of that. As a principal, a lot of times I got the brunt of that and how you de-escalate and work with that, um, knowing that it's not actually directed at you. It's coming from a lot of different things uh, that they've gone through, of course. Trying to change the behavior with punishment is like trying to pull off only the top part of the weed. If we don't get to the root, the hurtful behavior pops up elsewhere. Uh, in children, the fear response often looks aggressive, defiant, and oppositional. Um, a good example is that thinking of an iceberg uh, and the tip of the iceberg because you don't you know what's on the surface and that's what you see with the students. You see what's on the surface and you don't see like that iceberg underneath the water, how huge that can be and all the different things that that student's gone through and all those uh, things that are affecting that student's behavior and causing the anxiety, causing fear, causing the lack of feeling secure and all these things that can come out in a lot of different ways. Uh, continuing again with the article, young people with ACEs have brains that are in a constant state of alarm. In this alarm state, consequences don't register properly. Discipline can only be done when both the educator and the student are calm and self-regulated. If they aren't, behavioral difficulties will escalate. Uh, and that's why I do a lot with de-escalation in training staff and talking about the um, escalation cycle that a student goes through and you have to wait till they're in a calm state before you can problem solve and the same thing with adults you have to wait till they're in a calm state if you're going to do any kind of problem solving as well and uh, restorative practices you do teach the students how to do problem solving but you approach it at the right time often i had puzzles and games and different things that kids could do or a uh, bean bag or they could sit under the table or they could sit in the bean bag they could read a little bit uh, they knew in my office, they knew the procedure, actually. They knew they came in, they could grab one of the books that I had on a shelf. They could uh, uh, grab one of the uh, toys that were somewhat stimulative, but not a necessarily a toy toy. They were like problem-solving things that kept your mind busy and kind of got them in that calm state. Because I wouldn't work with the student until they were calm 
and until I know I could actually do problem solving with that student. And that's the same thing that they're talking about in this article. Uh, preventative brain aligned strategies, uh, continuing in the article, preventative systems are taught as procedures and routines. They are collaborative and filled with choice. The purpose is to create a sustainable behavioral change, not just compliance or obedience for a short period of time. And I stress giving choices and you're better off, um, you can do this or you can do this. You know, we can call the office or we can problem solve over here or we can do this. If you give the right choices too, the students are going to take those choices uh, over being a threatened and being backed into a corner where they have no choice but to uh, latch out or or jump out at you and uh, cause more problems or escalating the situation. And in front of peers, we've talked about that before. That's a no-no. You don't address them in front of peers or you don't, uh, the conflict, if you need to say, you know, come on, let's go down to my office and talk and turn around and walk out. Like I was telling you before, a lot of times the students will do that. Uh, in my case, I had relationships with the students, so that worked. If I tried to stress it and, you know, say I'm going to have to carry you out of here or whatever, I'm not saying I haven't had to do that because I have had to do that in certain situations, especially for the safety of other students. But in most situations, if you want to use the least amount of force possible and the least amount of restrictive behavior or anything that can be seen as negative, and that's uh, getting the student in a calm state, say, hey, let's go back to my office and look at this and go talk or I have something to show you. And a lot of times they will follow you, uh, especially if you have that relationship developed. Uh, and this, uh, continuing with the article, it says, I teach students about their neuroanatomy so they understand what happens in their brains when they become stressed, angry, or anxious. When we understand this, we feel relieved and empowered. So students, students need to understand that they can have the ability uh, and to uh, calm themselves down and that they that anger that's in them, they can actually control that. Um, and they go on to say, in morning meetings or whole class time, I discuss the prefrontal cortex, uh, amygdala, and the neuroplasticity with students. So of course they're not going to know what that is at first, but you can tell them that fight or flight uh, uh, response that they have, and you can talk about um, how things in their brain can sometimes make them really angry and they need to get calm so they can think straight and get their emotions in, in, um, in, in order, basically. And uh, Something I always say is teaching them to change that channel or teaching them to, uh, I mean, redirecting them and teaching them to change that channel and to get out of that mindset of being angry. That really works well. Um, I'm going to go on with the reading here. It says, we identify and make lists of our emotional triggers and coping strategies, and then I teach students to use their breath and movement to calm the stress response systems. And I'm a big believer in uh, that uh, stress breathing and uh, it's a yoga box breathing and also the... Uh, the Navy SEALs use that same kind of box breathing, and it's, it does calm you down. Teaching students to do this deep breathing, you know, that in and out for four times and exhaling, that actually calms down their nervous system and their respiratory system, which calms down the whole body. So it does have effect, and it gets them into a, almost a meditative state, but they can learn under these breathing techniques how to calm themselves down. And the high poverty building I was in as principal for, you know, nine years, and I was there 10 years, uh, one year as assistant principal too, uh, we learned to use uh, heart math and uh, use some of these uh, breathing techniques with extremely difficult students and getting them into a more calm state. Um, continuing a little bit here, it says, could your school create an area for both teachers and students to go when they need to reset their emotional state? And sure you could. 
this area could be stocked with paper, markers, crayons, water, soft music, and lighting or soft lighting, a uh, jump rope, a stationary bike, uh, lavender scented cotton balls, jars for affirmations or worries. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can do to this, uh, and they give you suggestions in this article. A rocking chair. Uh, students will be needed taught ahead of time how to use this area, which they should need for just two to five minutes in order to feel re refocused and ready to learn or return to class. Uh, and I called that a refocus room, but you could actually do it without having a special room. You can do it like I was saying. I did it in parts of my office, uh, which uh, let the student be away from everybody and people knew not to say anything to them or do anything to escalate the behavior. Uh, and then they give some pretty good article or, or some good examples of natural non-punitive consequences. Um, and basically, to me, they're actually logical consequences they talk a lot about. Uh, one of them is name-calling, and they say... Um, Examples of natural non-punitive consequences. Name-calling, have the student create a book of positive affirmations for the class or have them create a list of kind words and teach them uh, to a younger class. Uh, Low-level physical aggression, pushing, kicking, hitting. Um, some consequences could include giving the student a new learning space in the room, a new spot in line. Um, they could be tasked with performing an act of kindness or some kind of a service uh, for the hurt person. And that kind of goes back to the uh, restorative practice problem solving where you teach them to understand what the victim is going through and to understand why their behavior is causing problems for somebody else. And basically you're getting them to develop empathy. And we've talked about that before and I've given you some uh, ideas on the actual problem solving. Uh, there's a lot of ways we could head on this, but there's uh, so much uh, information. But you can do so many different things to instill that um understanding of what they're doing to other people and what is being done to them and what's happening and that um, definitely takes care of your bullying as well but you're trying to get them to uh, develop an understanding of more of the behavior that they possess or they have uh, if it occurs at recess they could be tasked with that assisting a teacher on recess duty uh, monitoring the playground collecting balls noticing that everything's going well keeping counts uh, basically giving them a job is what I'm seeing out of this. Uh, they can roam around the playground still getting exercise, but they, again, they perform an act of kindness towards the student who they um, did something against, like hitting or something. But they're basically, it's kind of a restitution type thing again uh, with that. Uh, inappropriate language, this calls for a discussion with both student and teacher in a calm brain state again. I, I, would, I would say that always is the case. There always needs to be a calm brain state for both the student and the teacher. Otherwise, there's not going to be any productive problem solving. Um, sometimes words that are inappropriate at school are used at home, so we need to understand the cultural context and have a discussion with the student. I had to do that many times with the students I had in poverty uh, because they were going on the, the norms that they had for survival out on the street and outside of the building were a lot different than they needed to understand for inside the building. So they needed, under, needed to understand the norms for inside the building and that we can help keep them safe and that we take care of things and they don't need to defend themselves and they don't need to use words that they might use somewhere else and they needed to be taught the context. And, um, and of course, our overall goal is to reteach them so they don't have to use those kind of things in the first place. Uh, reading again, it says an older student could research the words they used in they used and report it to you on why they're not school words. Uh, younger students could try to write it out, so they're trying to convey uh, using friendly language. Uh, there's a lot of things you can do. Think of logical consequences and problem solving. 
Um, even talk, they talk about even doing drawings, having them do drawings and complete assignments, have a one-on-one -on -one discussion to convey that this behavior communicates to you, what it communicates to you, ask if something has changed at home or school or if the student doesn't understand what is required, make a plan with the student and possibly a parent for making up the work and allowing them to make up that work. That's another thing too is some teachers won't allow them to make up the work and the basic is uh, that they understand the goal of that and the objective for that lesson. That's the real goal. It's not that they get a grade. It's that they understand uh, the objective and the goal that you're trying to teach and that they've understood it and they can do it. Um, that's actually uh, mastery to me. Um, the research is clear. Our brains learn best in a state of relaxed alertness. That's the biggest piece I want you to take away from this today. Um, and we already know that uh, our discipline systems must begin to shift toward creating the state and all members of our school community. And that's where restorative practices come in. And if you have strong behavior, uh, PBIS and MTSSB systems, uh, those can help prevent behaviors with strong procedures and routines and um, positives and keeping that four to one ratio high uh, so that you see more of the kind of behaviors you want to see. And they talked a little bit about, uh, you know, using circles and using uh, uh, morning messages and some of those things that we've talked about before in restorative uh, practices on using your learning circles to talk about some of those emotional triggers and to get some of that information out that can help them understand their behaviors and what can be done to improve their behaviors. And I think we'll go ahead and wrap there today. We've covered quite a bit of information and um, Eric Jensen, you know, supports that brains can change. He has a great book, Teaching with Poverty in Mind. Uh, what being poor does to kids' brains and what schools can do about it and shows that the brains are really resilient and can change and can continue to grow and adapt to almost anything. And we already know that. I've seen some of our kids be so resilient with some of the things that they've gone through. So continue to work with your students. Uh, continue to apply some restorative practices and continue to develop empathy and continue to develop problem-solving and keep the positives going for sure. And as we wrap up tonight, I'd like to finish with a quote tonight. Our quote is, practice easing your way along. Don't get get uh, heat up in a dither. Uh, it's kind of old tense, isn't it? Heat up in a dither. Do your best. Take it as it comes. You can handle anything if you think you can. Just keep your cool and your sense of humor. And that was Smiley Blanton, 1882 to 1966, probably a sign of the times with the, the verbiage that was used in there. But that is taken from Norman Vincent Peale's uh, book of my favorite quotations. So like always, uh, keep promoting effective leadership through productive culture changes. And until next time, let's remember to stay positive. listening to Urban Principle. Leadership lessons brought to you by BrettAnderson